couple of things as we get started. Uh, I brought two copies of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, which we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the Oxford uh, World Classic uh, copy, which is uh, an, an English translation. Um, I, I mean, it, the book's written in English, but that's okay. Um, if you ever read the original, you'll be thankful for an English translation. Um, it's written in the English that the King James Version was written in back in the 1600s, and it's written in rhyme and verse. And it's um, a mental challenge to read, though uh, spiritually rewarding. But here is a copy of Oxford's, and it's got some commentary and some information. And here's another copy. Uh, this is the copy I used for this class this time, uh, the main copy. So it's got some of my little crib notes in it. But I've got multiple copies of this book. So I brought two of them at, at Dale's suggestion uh, to give away. So I'm going to put one over here um, for after class and one over here. Uh, and you're welcome to take it with the following requirement. You read it, and then you give it away. Now, if you don't read it because time and circumstance doesn't allow you to, then you still got to go to step two and just give it away. Don't uh, sit on it and bury it, okay? And so with that, we've got a couple of copies. I wish I'd gotten more for everybody, but I did not. And uh, but I, at least we've got two copies that we can start passing around. You can buy this book at Barnes and Nobles, any number of different places, because the book itself, Pilgrim's Progress, is a very famous book. In fact, but for Harry Potter, it's the most famous, well-read book in the English language outside, of course, of the Bible. Nothing rivals the Bible in terms of sales or or reading. But uh, it's the second best English seller, if you will. Books written in the English language. Um, uh, over 200 languages. The book's been translated into over 200 different languages worldwide. And so it's not only famous as an English book, but it's found its fame in uh, over 200 translations. It's a book that was first published in the late 1600s, and it's never gone out of print. It's continually been published by someone, somewhere, somehow. You can get online and you can read multiple versions of this book online as well. Uh, the book has been countless inspiration, uh, a source of countless inspiration for any number of different authors and writers, from J.R.R. Tolkien to C.S. Lewis to Hannah Herbard or Hernard or whoever wrote Heinz Feet on High Places, any number of different books. Uh, both Christian and secular, The Wizard of Oz uh, 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 by Frank Baum. This was one of the inspirations behind that book, though The Wizard of Oz's message is, is obviously uh, quite different. Um, but this is a book that's inspired countless writings by countless people. It has been a major influence in the history of the church in the last 300 and so years, 300 plus years. It was written by a fellow named John Bunyan. John Bunyan himself was an interesting fellow. He was born in 1628 in England. This was a time of turmoil in England. His father was a tinker. Do you know what a tinker was? Yeah, they went around to villages and they'd mend pots and pans. They would tinker around with whatever it was that was broken and try to fix it. So his father was a mender or a fixer of pots. And that's the way Bunyan was trained. Bunyan got somewhere between two to four years of school. And that's it. So here's this fella with like not enough education to shake a stick at. 
can't read Greek, can't read Latin, which is what all of the church's writings were in. And yet he produces one of the most historical, inspirational books. Charles Spurgeon, you've heard of Spurgeon. This was Spurgeon's favorite book. Spurgeon supposedly read this book over a hundred times in his life. When Spurgeon was looking for personal victory over an area, he'd read this book. When Spurgeon was looking for something to preach about, he'd read this book. Spurgeon, uh, his son, Spurgeon's son, put out a copy of the book because of the way the book meant so much to his dad and to his family. And so this is a book that from a guy with very little education, And yet God worked mightily in his life to produce something like this. It's very inspirational. This is a fellow, he wasn't brought up as a Christian. He he didn't become a Christian until he's in his 20s. But in his 20s, he becomes a Christian at a small little Baptist church there in in, uh, England. He's baptized in a river. Has a very interesting personal journey on how he not only comes to Christ, but what he does once he comes to Christ, because he becomes a Christian, and then after a few years, he becomes a deacon in that small church and actually starts preaching. Now, he's preaching at this small church in his 30s, and he gets arrested. Actually, he gets indicted. He gets indicted for preaching without a license, but he doesn't quit. And when he doesn't quit, then he gets arrested, and he gets put in jail. He's put in jail for six months. And after six months, he's told, okay, we'll release you from jail if you'll quit preaching. He says, no. So they don't release him. They keep him in jail for 12 years. After 12 years, the king of England signs this religious toleration act. And so he's allowed to uh, be released. But the king revokes the Religious Toleration Act. This is King Charles II after uh, a few years. And so sure enough, he gets thrown back in jail. He's back in jail for six more months before he's released. And at this point, he continues, Bunyan continues to preach. But he's so famous at this point and so well-respected. And so many people come hear him that the British government just leaves him alone. And so this man continues to preach somewhere probably in the first imprisonment, the 12-year one. Maybe it's in the second imprisonment, the shorter one. Bunyan writes this story, writes the first part. The story itself is in two parts. And we're going to, I've written up the first part for you. I challenge you to read the second part on your own. You've got the Reader's Digest linear condensed version of the first part in your little fist in front of you. Um... And we'll talk today about the first part. I don't think I can get through the whole first part and do it justice. But instead of stretching this into two weeks, I'm going to cover what I can. And what I can't, you go read on your own. But as you read it, and as you listen to class, I'd like to urge you to do it with one specific goal in mind. You can have a lot more goals. But I got a goal for you. My goal for you is to find yourself and find others you know. In this story. Because that's the purpose of the allegory. This allegory is there for you to find who you are in there. I found me in a lot of the characters. And I found a lot of people I know in these characters. And it's my hope to cover enough of the characters to where today everybody in here can both say, Hey, I see some of me there. And also can say, Oh, I see some of whoever it may be there as well. 
Or maybe I see someone I don't want to be there. So let's look at the story together. The story begins with Bunyan in his jail cell, falling asleep. And he says, while I was asleep, I dreamed a dream. And I dreamed about a man who was dressed in rags. And he had a big burden on his back. And he was reading a book. And the more he read the book, the bigger the burden was on his back. And the man couldn't find any answers for the burden, but the burden was weighing him down. So the man went home and he talked to his wife and he talked to his kids about it. And he says, you know, I got this horrible burden and I don't just have a burden. I have this, I have this very good understanding that something's going to happen to our city. It's, it's destined for destruction. And when the destruction comes down, the destruction's going to affect us as well. And we won't survive unless we find a way out. I've got to get this burden off of my shoulders. And his wife and his children are very uh, understanding. Not. Because instead of saying, uh, gee, let's help dad and hubby with this problem, their response is rather, oh my goodness, dad's going crazy. He's lost it. I think what dad needs is a good night's sleep. And so they put dad to sleep. But this, this guy in Bunyan's dream, he can't sleep. He's got this huge burden on him and it doesn't make it easy to sleep. It's not like he can just take it off. I mean, it's there. He cannot remove it. I have trouble sleeping if there's a little cracker crumb in the bed. I can't imagine how to sleep with a huge burden. I don't know if you've had something in your life burden you enough to where you have trouble sleeping. But this man could not sleep. He tossed and turned. And the more he thought about it, the more he laid awake, the worse it got for him. So the next morning he got up. Wife and children, how are you? Are you better today? He said, no, I'm worse. I've got major problems. And I don't have answers. And we've got to come up with answers. And they said, yeah, you're losing it. He said, that may be, but I got to get some answers here. And so the wife and the kids, they try everything that they know to help him. They try to make fun of him. They try to be angry with him so he'll snap to it. They try to treat him and ignore him. Uh, just, just maybe he'll go away. Maybe he just wants attention. But try as they might, they can't do anything. This man can't do anything. So he goes outside and he goes into a field. He takes the book that he's reading that makes things worse. He's wearing his rags. He's weighed down and he just cries out, help me. What can I do to be saved? This burden is killing me. And about that time, a man comes up to him, a man named Evangelist. An evangelist finds this fella and says, hey, what's your problem? Guy says, I got this huge burden. I feel like life is just doomed. It, it, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't be who I want to be. I, 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 can't, I don't know where to go. I'm lost. An evangelist puts his arm around him and says, okay, there's a, a narrow gate. Way, way down there. You see that narrow gate? That's where you got to go. Go up to that narrow gate, knock on the door, do what he tells you to do. The guy says, I can't see the gate. And we find out the guy's name at this point is Christian. Christian says, I can't see the gate. He says, well, do you see that little light down there? 
Christian says, yeah, I see the light. He says, that's the gate. Walk to the light. So Christian says, okay. So Christian goes out and he starts to walk. And he's walking. His family sees him leave. His wife, his kids. And they come back. Go, no, no, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. Come back. And he plugs up his ears. He won't hear the cries of his family that try to keep him from walking to the light. Because he knows he's got to go. And so he starts walking toward the gate. As he starts walking, a couple of guys from his village come to join him. One of them's name is Obstinate. The other one's name, the other one's name is uh, uh, Pliable. Obstinate and Pliable see him and say, where are you going? And he says, well, I got this huge burden. I got to get rid of it. I've been told the narrow gate down there is the way to go. I'm going to the narrow gate. Obstinate says, you're an idiot. He says, no, 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 I'm a, you're an idiot. Look, everybody's got problems in life. Real people learn how to live with it. He says, I got I to gotta get rid of it. And besides, I've heard there's wonderful things. If I go through that gate, I've heard there's a celestial city. I've heard that there's great stuff. Pliable at first is with obstinate. But after a while, he starts listening. He says, you know, that sounds pretty good. I may go with him. Obstinate says, then you're a fool too. Pliable said, well, that may be, but it sounds pretty good to me, so let's go. So Pliable and, and Christian start walking together. And they're talking. Pliable says, tell me more about this great place we're going. Oh, it's wonderful. Streets paved with gold. It's a great city. No crying there, no tears. Pliable says, this sounds good. I could do this. And as they're walking along talking, pretty soon they slip into a swamp. They don't really notice it. They slip into a swamp. It's called the, the swamp or the mire of despondence. They're walking to the gate. They want to go to the gate. They've got great plans for getting to the gate. But they get stuck in all of this dread and despondency. And gee, the gate's far away. And we thought it was going to be real easy to get there. And it's not so easy to get there. And there's all this other stuff. And, and Pliable says, look, you idiot. You never told me about all of this stuff. And Christian says, well, to be honest with you, I didn't know about all of this stuff. And Pliable says, well, I'm not going to that stupid gate if I've got to drudge through all of this. Thank you, but no. And Pliable just finds the closest way out to head to his house. Meanwhile, Christian is just stuck in this swamp of despondency. He can't find any way out until a fellow named Help comes to him. A fellow named Help comes up to him and says, hey, let me help you out of this. Then help says, by the way, why don't you get stuck in here anyway? And Christian says, well, I don't know. We were just walking along talking, weren't really paying attention, I guess, and fell in. And Christian learns the value of paying attention. Christian says, well, why is this swamp of despondence on the way anyway? If everybody's going to, supposed to go to that gate, why doesn't God fix this swamp of despondency? And Christian's told, well, God's provided a way to the gate if you'd pay attention and walk it. But when you get distracted and you don't pay attention to the direction God's leading you, you go into the swamp of despondency. That's your fault for not paying attention. God and the prophets and others have made a very clear path if you'll watch and walk it. So Christian says, okay, well, thanks for the help. Help. And he continues to walk. Now, while he's walking, another guy comes up to Christian. This fellow's name is Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Mr. Worldly Wise Man comes up to him and says, Hey, Bubba, where are you going? 
Christian says, oh, I'm going to the narrow gate. I'm going to get rid of my burden there. It's life's going to be great. He says, now, you got a burden problem? Listen, I know a guy, okay? This guy can get rid of any burden you've got. He's really, really good. And he's a lot closer than that uh, gate thing you're headed toward. Christian says, you know a guy? He says, I know a guy. Christian says, well, tell me about this guy. He says, well, this guy, his name is Legality. And if you can't find him, at least find his son, Civility. Because Civility is pretty good at getting rid of the burden too. But I'm telling you, this guy, Legality, oh, he's the best. Christian says, where is he? Ah, oh, he's right over there in that town over there. And, and what Christian does is he finds out, oh, hey, I go over to this town and uh, uh, I'm going to get rid of it. So Christian diverts from the narrow way and goes over to the town to find Legality. But before he gets to the town, he sees this kind of an overhang that looks like it's a bunch of rocks or a mountain that's about to crush down on him if he walks under it. So Christian starts thinking, I'm not so sure I want to go see legality if I've got to walk under that because I could get crushed. And about that time, evangelist comes back up to Christian and says, what are you doing? I thought you were on the road to the narrow gate. He says, yeah, but I found out there's this guy named legality and he can help me like um, get rid of my, my burden. And uh, evangelist says, who told you this? Oh, it was worldly wise man. And, well, here's the problem. If you'd walked under that load, that rock, it would have crushed you. Because that's all legality offers you. And his son, civility, he's a hypocrite. He's not civil at all. Because what they do is they try and set up this list of rights and wrongs and tell you if you'll just follow this list and you'll just do these things, then you won't have a burden. But one of two things happens to people who try and do that. Either they actually have a list that's so... And this is Lanier talking. This isn't in Bunyan right now. Either they actually have a list that is so simplified that you're able to do it, in which point you feel very prideful. Which, by the way, is one of the things the Lord hates. Or they take the list and they actually have a godly list of do's and don'ts and you never measure up. And you don't get release from your burden. Your burden becomes heavier. Legalism is not the answer to a heavy burden. And neither is simply being civil. So with that admonition, the gate is pointed out again. And on his way, Christian goes to the gate. And Christian begins his walk to that gate again. Evangelism points the way. Christian finally makes it to the gate. Above the gate are these words, knock. And the door shall be opened unto you. And so as Christian knocks, goodwill opens the door. And Christian's about to walk in the door, but goodwill pulls him in quickly. Christian says, why'd you pull me in quickly? He says, you don't know how many people have gotten killed standing here at the door just waiting to come in. Because Beelzebub has got this uh, castle over there, and he's got his archers, and they are trying to kill anyone who wants to come in the door. Don't ever stand at the door and knock. And when the door's open, delay going in. That's a recipe for death and disaster. When the door's open, get in. And so Christian goes in the door. And once he's inside, goodwill points out the way to the celestial city. He says it's a narrow path, but it's a very straight path. You stay on this path and you'll make it to the celestial city. And this is the way you want to go. This is the direction. If you get off the path... 
lots of bad things can happen to you that as long as you stay on the path, you'll be okay. I know what some of you are thinking. Aha, follow the yellow brick road, follow the yellow brick road. It wasn't a yellow brick road. That was an, an addition by the guy who wrote The Wizard of Oz. But the goal was to stay on the path and you stay out of trouble. Get off the path and you get in trouble. Okay? So, uh, uh, off Christian goes and he starts walking down the path as goodwill points the way. And he says, see, you just go straight down that path. And first thing you're going to come to is the house of the interpreter. When you come to the house of the interpreter, he's going to explain to you a little bit of what's going on and what you have to look forward to and how you're going to make your journey. And so Christian starts his walk and he heads towards the house of the interpreter. While he heads toward the house of the interpreter, uh, uh, various things happen, but eventually he gets to that house and in the house are many rooms. And in those rooms, uh, Christian is shown different things and he's taught different things by what he's shown. He's shown, for example, a room where there's a fire burning. And Satan and his men are trying to pour out the fire. They're trying to quench the fire. The allegory is there that God will put a fire in your heart. A burning for righteousness. A burning for for goodness. A burning for holiness. And Satan will spend all of his efforts trying to quench that fire. But what Christian was shown is as much as Satan and his men were pouring water on the fire, behind the wall was Jesus who was feeding the fire with oil. He was pouring gasoline on the fire in such a way that try as they might, Satan would never be able to quench that fire. Nothing was going to come between that fire and Jesus and the love that Jesus has for the flame that burns within you. God puts the flame within us. Satan cannot burn it out. Satan's not going to take away God's love for you and God's provision for you. Try as he might. I'm not saying we can't do something to distance ourselves from it. We can choose to cut some flow off from God. But we don't need to worry about Satan in the outside world doing it. And so uh, Christian's shown this. He's shown some other things. He's shown a man who's in an iron cage. And the man cannot get out of the iron cage. Christian says, what happened to you? And the man said, well, I started out. I was going to be a Christian. I was going to go that route. But then I decided not to. And I've found myself locked in this cage and I'm in despair and there's nothing I can do. Christian says, huh, don't want to do that. So as Christian learns these lessons at the house of the interpreter, the house of the interpreter, goodwill, uh, the interpreter then sends Christian on and says, now go that way. That's the way of the path. And that's also the way to get rid of your burden. And so Christian continues to walk. And as Christian walks, he comes to a place of deliverance. The place of deliverance is a cross. That's built on top of a tomb. And when Christian comes to the cross and he bows before the cross, all on its own, the burden drops off of Christian's back and it tumbles down and is swallowed up in the tomb. And three angels come and they appear to Christian. And these angels bring him some gifts. One angel declares your sins are forgiven. Another one places a mark on his forehead. Another one gives, takes off his rags, gives him rich clothes. Says you don't dress that way anymore. 
And then another one says, here's a document. Now this document is marked with a seal. Hold on to this, because these are your entry papers into the celestial city. They've been marked with the seal. They're authentic. And Christian rises up, now worthy of his name. His burden is gone. His life has purpose. His life has meaning. And he's got tools to get to the celestial city. And as Christian starts to leave this spot, he sees three guys lying there in shackles at the foot of the cross. One guy is named Sloth, and he's asleep. Another guy's name is Simple. And a third guy's name is Presumption. And Christian says, hey, you're at the foot of the cross. Wake up. Look, this is the place. This does it. Sloth says, I'm sleeping. Leave me alone. Give me a wake-up call later. Hit the snooze button on that guy. Simple. He's there. He says, I don't, I don't, I don't see any danger. Why would I need the cross? I'm, I'm doing fine. And, and, and as for presumption, he's kind of, hey, 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 hey. Everybody does their own thing. Okay, you do your own thing. I do my own thing. You want the cross? You take the cross. I tend to like being here in shackles. Living no life at all. And Bunyan points out, he says, you know, I just feel bad for those guys because there is a lion walking around, as Pastor David mentioned this morning from Peter, seeking to devour anybody. They're there they're in shackles at the foot of the cross. They're lion food. But they don't care because they've got their own thing going. And so they can be at the foot of the cross, but they keep going anyway. With this, Christian leaves and Christian begins his walk. Christian starts walking, and pretty soon he's walking up a slope. He's walking up a hill. This is the hill of difficulty. It's interesting. You would have thought that he wasn't going to have any problem. Well, before Christian hits the main meat of the hill, two guys climb over the wall that borders the path, the fence. One guy's name is formality. The other guy's name is hypocrisy. And formality and hypocrisy climb over the fence. Well, you know, Christian sees him and says, Hey, why are you climbing over the wall? You know, there's a gate down there you're supposed to come through, the narrow gate. And formality says, I have my own way of doing things. We've done it this way in my village for years. He says, Yeah, but, but you're supposed to come in here through the narrow gate. I, I, I think you, like, get documents. and I mean, it, it's, it's the way to come in. Formality says, You don't understand. My village and I, we have this way of doing things. This is the way we do them. And uh, meanwhile, hypocrisy is saying, besides, I like shortcuts. If I can find a shorter way to do it, I'm going to do it. And about this time, the hill starts getting a little bit steeper, and there are two paths, danger and destruction, that veer off. And uh, uh, formality and hypocrisy suggest, hey, don't take the hard road. Why don't you take our shortcuts? Very clearly, we got shortcuts that go around this hill of difficulty. And I know people in life who would rather hold on to the formality of their tradition than embrace Jesus Christ. And I know people in life who will take a shortcut and live a life of hypocrisy rather than face the challenges of being a true believer. And the sad part is, 
is those people not only ruin their own lives, I know they try to influence other pilgrims. Try to, you know, it's something about, we feel better about what we're doing when we're doing something wrong if we can get someone else to do it with us. You ever notice that? And, and, and uh, uh, it's a real pity. So anyway, on they go. And they go one way and one goes the other, they being uh, uh, hypocrisy and formality. But Christian stays on the hill, and his walk soon becomes a crawl. It's so tough. As he's crawling up the hill, the, the, the provider has placed an arbor, a place for you to stop and get some respite on the hill of difficulty. Have you ever noticed when you're in difficult times, just when you think you can't move another step, you get this brief respite? may not be the whole hill's over. But you get a brief respite. Well, bless his heart, Christian decides that instead of uh, just taking his brief refreshment there that he's entitled to, he decides just to sort of camp out there for a while and actually falls asleep. While he falls asleep, his document slips from his hand without him realizing it. When he finally wakes up, he realizes, oh my goodness, I've slept. I wasn't supposed to sleep here. I've got to finish this hill. Climbs the rest of the way up the hill... While he's climbing up there, he sees two fellas, fearful and mistrust, running down, saying, No, don't go, don't go, it just gets worse. He says, No, I'm going, I'm following the road. Gets almost up to the top of the hill when he realizes he's lost his document. Because he fell asleep when he needed to be resting. Took advantage of the rest a little too much. So he goes back down, gets, finds his document under the arbor. Of course, what's he got to do then? Climb that stupid hill one more time. Wasted all of that energy and effort because he didn't get after God's business as early as God wanted him to. He put it off for his own ease and comfort. So it was almost, it's like one of our children who didn't like to do her homework once. I almost went through a phase of saying, okay, well then everything you don't turn in the first time, you're going to need to do twice. Because I really think it's important you learn now in your life. Just because you don't want to do something because it just seems too hard. Don't fall prey to that. Because the truth is in your life. When you have difficulties that, that, that God is there to help you through. Lessons for you to learn. If you don't learn them and you just sit back. Don't think God's going to just let it slide. He's not. He's got lessons to teach you. He's going to teach them to you. The problem is you may have to do double time to learn them if you put it off. And so up the hill he gets. Finally, when he gets up the top of the hill after the two guys fear and mistrust, they, they go their separate ways. He goes back down. I'm sorry, I lost track of this. He grabs a hold of the document that he'd left. Then he climbs back up the hill. And at the top of the hill, he comes to the gate of the palace beautiful. And this is where he's going to rest. This is put there for him. The palace beautiful. The problem is there are a couple of lions there guarding the entrance to the gate. Now it's so dark because the guy dawdled on his way and took his nap early that he doesn't see the lions are chained up and can't bother him. He almost, Christian almost doesn't go into the gate because he's worried about these lions. But uh, the gatekeeper calls out and says, that's okay, they're chained. Come on in. And why are you running so late? Where have you been? He says, well... Um, you see, I, I sort of got delayed because I fell asleep where I wasn't supposed to. And then I'd left my document. I had to go back and get it. He starts telling him what all happened. The guy says, well, hang on. 
Let me call in one of the people who guard the house here, or one of the tenants of the house here, Discretion, and let's see if you're even allowed in now. So Discretion comes to the door. The story is told to Discretion. Discretion says, well, let me check with the rest of the family, talks it over with piety and charity and prudence, and they say, okay, come on in. So in he goes, and these folks, they sit and they discuss with Christian what he needs to know. Charity, prudence, piety. Uh, uh, They tell him... Uh, and discretion, they tell him, hey, um, here's what you need to understand, and here's how you need to live. And here's some armor you don't seem to have. Here's a shield of faith. Here's a breastplate of righteousness. Let's get your feet shod with the gospel of peace. And they put the armor of Christ on him, and here's a sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so with this, Christian is uh, given a good night's sleep in a room called peace. He wakes up refreshed and ready to go. Now, you would think, having climbed that hill of difficulty, he'd be really pumped about going downhill. We were in uh, 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 Pepperdine on Wednesday or Thursday of this week, and uh, uh, we were interviewing clerks for, uh, to work for us next summer at the law school there. And me and one of the fellows that went with me, one of the, the lawyers, a guy named Patrick, decided we were going to go for a run after the interviewing was over on the Pepperdine campus. Pepperdine's a gorgeous campus. Um, it's built on the, the Santa Monica Mountains that just are right there at the, the, uh, the mouth of, or the shore of the Pacific Ocean there. And so um, we got on our running clothes and we went down to the track to run. And uh, the soccer team was working out there, and they said, you can't run on the track. It's closed right now. So we thought, okay, well, we'll just run the campus. Well, the campus is on the mountain, which means half of the run is death. (laughs) The other half of the run you would think would be really liberating. Problem is, it's just real easy to trip and fall when you're running down a mountain. You've got to be just as diligent on the way down as you are on the way up. So we're running this mountain, and I was thinking, because I was rereading Pilgrim's Progress during the time, and I just read this section about the hill of difficulty. And so I was telling Patrick, hey, we're running up the hill of difficulty. Well, after the hill of difficulty, Christian comes out, and he starts descending down the, to the valley of humiliation. As he goes to the Valley of Humiliation, the enemy comes against him, Apollyon. Apollyon is a winged monster with scales. And Apollyon comes and starts attacking him and attacking him. How dare you leave my kingdom? How dare you leave what I did for you? How dare you turn your back on me? You return to me. You come back to me. You live like the way you used to. How dare you claim, in the words of David this morning, that you are under new management? How dare you claim you're going to talk honestly? How dare you claim you're going to love? How dare you claim you're going to do those seven things that David talked about this morning? How dare you claim that? You come back and you live the way I taught you to live. You come back and you do things the old way. And this is just beating Christian back and beating him back and beating him down. Christian thinks, I've got to turn and run, but realizes the armor he was given doesn't have any protection for his back. So with his shield, he's trying to quench the darts. With his breastplate of righteousness, he's trying to stand up. But ultimately, Christian's falling down. 
And finally, as he's battling, Christian realizes, wait a minute, I have a sword of truth. Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And with that truth, the Word of God, he reaches up with his little bit of effort he's got and cuts the enemy. The enemy flies off howling. You'd think that was it. But from there, Christian goes from the valley of humiliation into the valley of the shadow of death. In the valley of shadow of death, all sorts of evils and things try to corrupt him and influence him and take him away. But Christian walks through the valley of the shadow of death. And he doesn't really fear the evil as much because he's following the light of God. And he doesn't realize how horrible everything is all around him. And he makes it by faith through and, and, and following the, the light unto his feet. He makes it through the valley of the shadow of death. And as he gets out of there, he sees this guy up ahead named Faithful. Faithful's up ahead and Faithful's uh, walking. And Christian calls out, hey, wait up. Faithful says, no way. Man, there's evil stuff back there. I'm not slowing up for you or anybody else. I'm headed to the celestial kingdom. So Christian figures, okay, Faithful won't wait for me. I'll go get him. So he starts breaking out into a run. He's running, 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 going to catch up. You know what happens? He catches faithful. Thinks, doing so good, I may just get on ahead of him. Let him say, wait up to me. And his pride just keeps on running past him. Hey, hey, bam, falls down, trips. Pride came before a fall. And... uh he can't get up till faithful comes, catches up to him and says, hey, buddy, you need some help. And faithful helps him up. Okay, about the time faithful helps him up, uh, they start talking and each of them are relating their journey. And faithful talks about all the temptations and, and you know, faithful had had his own little walk. He'd had uh, uh, this guy who had these three daughters, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh and and a third lust and and guy said, hey, you can have all three of my daughters if you want to just stay here with me instead of go to that kingdom you're headed to. And faithful stayed faithful and didn't do it. And, and they're talking. And all of a sudden, they meet up with this next fella. His name is Talkative. And Talkative, oh, man, he talks a great game. This guy talks the talk. He talks the Christian talk about the glories of God and the wonders of Jesus and the beautiful salvation that lies at the foot of the cross. And Faithful's pretty taken by him and says to Christian, man, we've got a great travel companion here. Christian says, now, nah, I think this guy's talkative. I've heard of him. He talks the talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. That's the linear translation, but that's sort of what Bunyan was saying. He just didn't have our rhyming scheme down yet. He talks the talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. Faithful says, yeah, but man, he's talking a great game. Christian says, look, here's the way we do it. Let's see if he does any of the things he talks about. So uh, they said, okay. So they walk up to him and said, so uh, tell us something. So talkative starts talking the game. And faithful would say to talkative or Christian would, yeah, boy, that's a great point about how Christ takes our burdens. Has he taken your burdens? And I said, well, let's don't talk about me. Let's talk about the wonders of God and all the good. Oh, yeah, that's good. Well, let's talk about how God's worked those wonders in you. 
How has your life demonstrated the wonders of God? Talkative says, uh, <laughs> excuse me. Um, uh, I, that's, that's not the direction I'm going with this. Uh, you know, enough about me. Let me tell you about you. Say, no, 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 no. We want to know if there's any beef behind this uh, uh, verbosity. Talkative says, well, <laughs> you clearly are not the kind of people I plan on walking with. And so he says, see ya, I'm on my own. And talkative leaves him alone. At this point, faithful and Christian reach a town called Vanity. And in Vanity, they have a big market. Of course, they called their markets back then fairs. So he, they reached the Vanity Fair. And the Vanity Fair has got all sorts of things for sale. At Vanity Fair, you can buy houses. You can buy fame. You can buy titles. You can buy any desire you've got. You can buy any pleasure you want. And they'll take whatever currency you've got to spend. Well, faithful and Christian both recognize they don't desire any of the things at Vanity Fair. So they're not, they're not going to buy there. At which point the townspeople get very upset. Who are these frauds and phonies who won't visit our market? And the townspeople challenge Christian and hopeful. I mean, Christian and, and faithful. They challenge Christian and faithful and they say, hey, why aren't you spending your currency with us? You know, we've got things for you. And it's almost as if Jesus is in front of Satan in the wilderness and Satan tempts him and says, you want the world? I'll give you the world. You hungry? We can get you bread. You, 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 you know, you, you want people to bow? You bow in front of me and I'll have everybody else bow in front of you. You, you want to really do a, be a miracle man? You get up on the pinnacle of this and, and throw temple and you throw yourself off and let the angels protect you. And boy, people will be blown away. You want fame? You'll have fame, baby. You'll be the talk of the town. And Jesus said no to all those temptations. And Satan fled Jesus. But while Christian and faithful say no to Vanity Fair, instead of uh, Satan fleeing, Christian and faithful are imprisoned. And there's a trial of sorts that takes place. And at the trial, faithful is found guilty. And he's uh, not only beaten and kicked and all, but he's actually burned at the stake and killed. And Bunyan says it was really neat because what Christian was able to see that no one else in the town seemed to notice was that a special chariot came. And at the time of the burning, while in the townspeople's eyes Faithful was dying, the truth of the matter was Faithful got in the chariot and went straightway to the celestial city. Christian, for some reason he doesn't understand, is actually released. And he keeps walking down the road. And as he walks down the road, he meets uh, some fellows. He meets a guy named Mr. Buy-ins, which isn't a word we use much. We would use the term secret agenda. He meets Mr. Secret Agenda and Mr. Secret Agenda and Mr. Money All and Mr. Save All. These, these guys come up to him and they say basically, um, okay, here's our problem. We've got about four to five minutes left in this class. And I haven't made it through. But I'm close enough to where I don't have a whole class load for next week. 
So I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story here right now. We're going to zip through some of it, and I'm going to challenge you to read it because I want to get to the points for home, and I want to make some points. But I'm going to tell you, you'd hear about the temptations of these men. You would hear about the giant of despair and how he beats them until they realize they have a key to get out of his dungeon. You'd hear about them fleeing the dungeon of the giant of despair. You'd hear about ignorance climbing over the fence trying to get with them. You'd hear about a meeting Mr. Atheist who would try to laugh at them and, and scorn them and make them think that anybody with any sense or intelligence wouldn't be a Christian and wouldn't be walking to the celestial city. And it would remind you of things in your life. I can remember in my life times where... Um, uh, I, I can remember times where I first reached a point where I really had questions about my faith. Does God exist? How do I know the Bible's true? And, and, and I would go and I'd get books and I'd read them and I'd try and see what other people had to say and I'd read people of faith and I'd read people of, of no faith. And some things troubled me and issues troubled me and I didn't have all the answers I wanted and I just kept struggling through it. And I want to tell you, like Bunyan says, it was a matter of spending time in God's Word and staying close to His heart that guided me through those times. And it wasn't that God just said, okay, ignore the questions of your mind. It was God saying, Mark, keep your heart close to me and let me walk through those questions with you. Because I'm not asking you to become an idiot to get into my kingdom. I want you, I made your mind. I want you to use it. But I want to renew it. I want you to see some things that I'll reveal to you. But the key to it for me was staying close to the heart of God through daily quiet time and study. There's no replacement for that with all the temptations and all of the, the you, you, through all of the life that I've led so far, almost 47 years, what I've learned. Is there's no replacement, absolutely no replacement for daily time before God. Church is great. Books are great. Sunday school is great. There is no replacement for daily time with God. A godly spouse is great. Children are great. A godly upbringing is great. Christian friends are great. There is no replacement for daily time with God. You want money? You want fame? You want power? God's got, and Satan has more opportunities for us to have money than any of us have. Fame, oh heavens, I've been on TV 20 times this year at least, national TV. You know what? Big deal. Power, I got 100 people that work for me. I guess I could go fire them all tomorrow. <laughs> be a fool I'd have to work <laughs> but I could but I want to tell you money fame power those things will control you instead of be tools for God's use unless you have daily quiet time with God
daily quiet time with God. I was challenged to that by my preacher when I was in eighth grade. And I made a commitment to embrace that till the day I die. I confess to you I have not been totally faithful in that. There are days I've missed. But that's been my loss. Because God is faithful to meet with me each day and he is with you. And so as we look at the points for home, I'll tell you, Christian winds up dying. He gets to the celestial city. It's an incredible story. I'll also tell you that the celestial city was uh, not the end of the story. It's the end of part one because Christian's wife and children have their own journey, and that's part two. And they do come to faith, and they make their adventure as well. Points for home briefly. Who am I? Jesus says, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Have you found it? When you find it, you find it with Jesus. There's no other way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Nobody. And you don't climb over a fence to get there. There aren't shortcuts. It says, the man who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by the other, another way, he's a thief and a robber. You want to enter in, you enter in by the gate. You enter in through Jesus. If you haven't done that, please don't ever, ever, ever stand at the gate waiting. Because there's someone who's wanting to kill you before you walk in. So take advantage of this time to come down and talk to some of us after class. It's not a hard gate to get in. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Seek and you'll find. Who am I to others? Am I the hypocrite that tries to teach people the shortcut? I had a hypocrite and uh, changed some of our family. A hypocrite who, at church, did my grandfather dirty in a business deal. And my grandfather, for a long time, quit going to church because he wasn't going to church with a bunch of hypocrites. Actually, with one hypocrite. My grandmother went to church till the day uh, he died. My grandfather died, still goes to church, I might add. But, but my, there were a bunch of people in that church that were wonderful, godly people, including my grandmother. But my grandfather would not go in the church because of that man who did him dirty. And I feel bad for my grandfather because he missed out on things. But I want to tell you something. I don't ever want to be that hypocrite. People aren't coming to church because they don't want to be there. Because I'm there, heaven forbid. So who are we? We need to be people who encourage one another and build each other up. Where are you in the journey? Don't lose heart. You may be climbing a hill of difficulty. You may be in a valley of humiliation. The enemy may be raining down on you at this moment. Call out to God and don't lose heart. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this class. Thank you for the works uh, in history that even today speak to us where you have have worked through pen and ink and and, uh, through the lives of your saints in days gone past and provided us resources to illuminate and and shine light on who we are and what's going on in our lives. Uh, We thank you for that. I pray for each person here that you will meet their needs through your Holy Spirit and through us, their class members. Pray through Jesus' name, amen.